Welcome to the podcast where we answer the question, that's healthy? This is your host, Hope Brandt. Social media has really done a doozy on our perception of health and wellness, and I want to help set the record straight. Quick fixes and fad diets? Unachievable beauty standards? Extreme fitness challenges that leave you more broken than when you started? I'll pass. Taking ownership of your choices, treating your body and mind with respect, filling your life with things and people that lift you up instead of tear you down. Yeah, that's healthy. And that's exactly what you'll find here. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I just love December. It is the only winter month that I like. (laughs) After Christmas, winter can GTFO. But until then, I'm feeling very festive, happy, and I hope you are finding joy in this season as well. So today, we are going to talk about alcohol. This is an interesting topic all the time, but I feel like we have more exposure and even maybe a little more pressure to drink during the holiday season. So let's chat about it. Let's talk about alcohol, how it actually works in your body. And at the end, we're going to talk about how can you determine if having some alcohol is worth it to you. And we can even talk about a little script of how to say no to alcohol, even if everyone else is drinking and you've decided it's not worth it to you. We can talk about how can you say no in a way that is not going to present a bunch of opposition from people who are then trying to get you to drink when you don't want to. So let's go ahead and start the show. Let's get into it. And we're going to just dive right into talking about alcohol what it is, and how it works in your body. Alcohol can actually be considered the fourth macronutrient because it does not work like any of the other three macronutrients. Um, We have protein, carbohydrates, and fats. All of those things are metabolized differently in our body. Alcohol does not work like any of those things. I think there's a pervasive rumor that alcohol is broken down into sugar in your body. That's not how it works. That's how carbohydrates work. And alcohol is produced from the fermentation of carbohydrates, either starch. So that would be things like potatoes turning into vodka (laughs) or barley producing whiskey. Also, sugar can be fermented. So that would be like agave producing tequila. Also, little fun fact as I was researching for this episode, any fruit that ripens, will end up containing a trace amount of alcohol. Like the riper your bananas get on your counter, the more alcohol they have in them. And it's trace amounts. But I thought that was super interesting and totally makes sense because alcohol is produced by the fermentation of starch or sugar. So any fruit that ripens, as it goes through that ripening process, some of the sugar or starch in that fruit is converting to alcohol. Very interesting. But anyway, alcohol is considered the fourth macronutrient. So just have it in a separate category in your brain. It is not like the others, it's a totally different thing. In that same vein, it is seven calories per gram, also unique, right? 
protein and carbohydrates are four calories per gram, and fat is nine calories per gram. So alcohol is seven calories per gram, right in the middle there. Like I said, it's made from the fermentation of starch or sugar, which turns carbohydrate into ethanol. Also, I got this question. (laughs) Is the ethanol that's in alcohol the same as the ethanol that you see at the gas station? The answer is yes, it is the same compound. However, at the gas station, that ethanol is mixed with gasoline. So it's a totally different thing. Drinking alcohol is not like you're drinking the gas from the gas station, but it is the same compound. Alcohol is a mild sedative and anesthetic, and it activates the release of dopamine and serotonin in your brain. So What happens in your body when you drink alcohol? First, a small amount of alcohol immediately is absorbed by the blood vessels in your mouth and in your tongue. Then once it's swallowed, up to 20% of the alcohol passes out through the stomach straight into the bloodstream. The remaining 75 to 80% of alcohol moves through the stomach into the small intestine where it is absorbed into the blood. Alcohol moves quickly through all parts of the body via the bloodstream, and effects can be felt in the brain within 5 to 10 minutes after drinking. Your liver and kidneys work very hard to filter your blood, break down the alcohol, balance fluids, and remove waste. Your liver breaks down up to 90% of the alcohol, and Up to 10% of alcohol leaves your body via urination. Um, We're also going to talk a little bit more about the process of how your body breaks down alcohol and a few differences between women and men in that process. We're also going to talk about what the heck is a hangover, why you get them, and possibly mitigating some of those effects. But first, let's talk about what is actually considered one drink. A healthy liver can process one standard drink per hour, which keeps your blood alcohol concentration or your BAC in normal range. So according to the CDC, one standard drink is defined as 12 ounces of 5% alcohol beer, 8 ounces of 7% malt liquor, 5 ounces of 12% alcohol wine, and 1.5 ounces of 40% liquor. So (laughs) if you have never measured out five ounces of wine, I challenge you to do that the next time you have a wine night or you want to pour yourself a glass of wine. It's probably less than you think. Alcohol, I believe, is one of those things where it does help to measure it out at least a few times. I think it's more common to do for like mixed drinks because, you know, you have the little shot glasses that you use to make the drinks. So knowing what a standard serving of liquor looks like is different than knowing what a standard serving of wine looks like. Um, And even at restaurants, typically you get a very generous pour. So if you don't know what five ounces of wine looks like, Measure that out the next time you have a glass of wine so you can truly know if you're having one drink or if you're having two or three. It's important to know these things when you are creating 
realistic expectations around how you can feel and around achieving your goals if you're trying to work alcohol into your nutritional approach. Let's talk about now what causes a hangover and in what you could do to possibly reduce the effects of a hangover. This is super interesting to me and I think one of the big considerations to think about when you're considering drinking alcohol. So the body can't store alcohol in its natural state and it views it as a toxic substance. Alcohol is one of these things that is truly a toxin in your body. I know lots of people like to throw the word toxic around when we're talking about different foods, different food items. Almost nothing can actually be described as toxic in a normal context of eating a varied diet. Like sugar is not toxic. Processed foods are not toxic. Most (laughs) dyes and additives are not toxic. Alcohol legitimately is toxic. So your body's goal is to eliminate alcohol as quickly as possible. Your body pauses the metabolism of other nutrients while it takes care of breaking down the alcohol. So when alcohol is in your system, that means that your body is pausing glucose, carbohydrate, and fat metabolism. Your cells are not getting the same amount of of usable energy, of efficient energy that they are when alcohol is not in your system. This affects everything. It affects how you feel. It affects how you feel the next day. It affects your hunger hormones. It affects your appetite. We'll get to that. Okay, so to break down the alcohol, your body produces alcohol dehydrogenase, ADH, which is the enzyme that metabolizes alcohol. ADH breaks the alcohol molecules down into acetaldehyde, which is a compound that contributes to a hangover. (laughs) It most severely affects your brain, and it can also impair memory. It is considered a class 1 carcinogen, but it is quickly broken down into a much less toxic compound called acetate and then metabolized for energy in a properly functioning body. This is how the breakdown of alcohol works. Now, ADH is found in different concentrations in different parts of the body and in differences between men and women. So a young woman and a young man will feel very different effects of drinking the same amount of alcohol. This is because typically, first of all, the man probably weighs more However, men have ADH in their stomach. Women do not. So that ADH helps men break down and metabolize alcohol more efficiently than women. Most of our alcohol goes straight into our bloodstream. So we feel the effects much more strongly and much faster than men typically do at a younger age. There's also research research that says in middle age, this reverses and women actually metabolize alcohol more efficiently than men do. So it really kind of depends on age, gender, but for the most part, men metabolize alcohol differently than women do and most of the time more efficiently because they have additional ADH in their stomach, whereas women do not. So back to acetaldehyde. It is the main cause of hangover symptoms. 
is this exposure to that (laughs) class one carcinogen in our brains. However, when you're thinking about how you feel during a hangover, most of the time we're feeling very lethargic. We don't have a lot of energy and we could be experiencing higher appetite, higher cravings for, you know, that greasy hangover food. This totally makes sense because glucose metabolism, which is our body's main energy producer, has been turned off while your body is processing that alcohol. So even though you're drinking calories with alcohol, it is not a very efficient energy source for your body. Glucose and fat metabolism provide much more usable energy for our body. So that type of metabolism has been turned off while our body is breaking down the alcohol. Totally makes sense that our body would be asking, yelling at us (laughs) for energy because all it's had is that crappy alcohol energy that it's had to break down and expel. So it needs more usable energy. This is why a lot of times alcohol consumption is linked to higher food consumption. It's because our appetite is higher, because our cells are not getting the energy that they need to function well. In addition, alcohol metabolism reduces REM cycle sleep. Reduced REM cycle sleep also affects your hunger hormones. It reduces the production of leptin and increases the production of ghrelin, which leptin is our satiety, fullness hormone. Ghrelin is our hunger hormone. So it's like a compounded effect of drinking alcohol and its effects on your appetite. Not only are your glucose and fat metabolism turned off so your cells aren't getting usable energy, it also reduces REM cycle sleep, which additionally (laughs) lowers leptin and increases ghrelin production. It's kind of a heavy hammer that's coming down on your hunger hormones when you are drinking alcohol. So again, this is just something to consider and have this knowledge when you decide to drink. I'm all about having a drink when it's worth it to you. But when you're deciding if something is worth it, you are also choosing to accept the consequences of that action. So knowing how alcohol consumption affects your entire body, affects your hunger hormones, could affect your behavior the next day, it's up to you to decide if it's worth it or if it's not. Okay, does alcohol have any benefits, right? Everyone likes to think that (laughs) drinking red wine provides a lot of antioxidants and it's good for your heart. Is this true? So when we're looking at Benefits of moderate intake. First, we need to remember that moderate intake means one standard drink per day for women and two standard drinks per day for men. So moderate intake of any pure alcohol, not just red wine, is linked to reduced risk of heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, diabetes, arthritis, osteoporosis, and depression. However, It is never recommended to start drinking if you do not drink already. Adding alcohol to your diet is not going to help produce those lower disease risk outcomes. 
it can be included in an overall healthful anti-inflammatory lifestyle if you are truly drinking in moderation. The recommendation is never to add alcohol if it's something that you're not already doing. Overall, the advice is to reduce alcohol intake. So drawbacks of drinking. Personally, I think much outweigh any quote-unquote benefit of choosing to add more alcohol to your diet. (laughs) Again, alcohol can be a part of an overall healthful lifestyle, but it's not the alcohol that is producing those decreased disease risks. It may not increase your risk if you're drinking in moderation, but it's definitely not the thing that is decreasing your risk. Alcohol consumption has been shown to increase overall food and beverage intake, which can lead to unwanted weight gain, right? We talked about how it affects your appetite in the moment as it shuts off your body's glucose and fat metabolism, and then the extended effects of that as it alters your hunger hormones. But more importantly, excessive alcohol consumption and or binge drinking can lead to numerous undesirable health outcomes, including psoriasis, organ damage, higher risk of many of the aforementioned disease states, such as heart disease, cancer, and stroke. Additionally, increased alcohol intake is associated with higher cholesterol, which can also increase risk for heart disease. The bottom line here is that moderate intake may not have negative health effects, but the Dietary Guidelines for Americans does not recommend that individuals who do not drink alcohol start drinking. Alcohol can play a part in an overall healthy lifestyle, but in my opinion, it is absolutely a stretch to drink alcohol under the pretense of increasing your health. (laughs) So, if you are choosing to partake in alcohol consumption, I get asked all the time, what is the quote-unquote best option? So, we're going to go through a couple of different options here. First of all, I would say the quote best option, if you're choosing to drink alcohol, is going to be the option that is 1,000% worth it to you. If you don't like beer, don't drink beer. (laughs) That is never going to be worth it if you don't like it, right? So first, it has to be a kind that you actually enjoy that you want to drink, not just looking for the effects of alcohol. The best kind is going to be the kind that you enjoy, that you truly want, that is worth it to you in moderation. But when we're looking at, okay, how can we choose an option that possibly could be most aligned with keeping your calorie intake at a manageable range? So first, we want to be aware of mixers. You know, those are the culprit of many, many added calories on top of alcohol itself already being seven calories per gram. I think a lot of people don't think about the actual alcohol having calorie content outside of just what it's mixed with. There's no such thing as a zero-calorie alcoholic beverage. Alcohol itself has calories. 
but you can reduce that overall caloric load by looking for lower calorie mixers. Things like diet soft drinks, things like bubble water, seltzer water, fresh squeezed juices without a bunch of additional added sugar. Some of the lowest calorie options are light beers and then drinks with hard alcohol with zero calorie mixers. Have that in mind if you're looking to just reduce the caloric impact of the alcohol that you're drinking. But first and foremost, I would say don't drink the alcohol if it's not 100% worth it to you. That's the first thing to decide. You know, ask yourself, do I want this drink? Do I like it? And then secondly, ask how that fits into your overall dietary pattern. So again, remember, when you are choosing to take an action, you are also choosing to accept the consequences of that action. Keep this in mind when you are deciding if alcohol is worth it to you or if it's not. And again, not just looking at in the moment, but looking at those extended effects of alcohol, how it can affect your sleep, how it can affect your hunger hormones, how it can affect your behavior the next day. So. This is how alcohol works, how to determine if it's worth it to you. So let's kind of talk about how to go about turning down a drink if you don't want it, but you also don't want to feel the peer pressure. (laughs) Alcohol consumption and just the prevalence of alcohol in a social setting is so interesting to me as I explained at the beginning with alcohol being legitimately toxic to our bodies, um, the fact that it is so normalized is just so interesting to me Uh, without any stigmas attached to it. You know, nowadays, smoking and especially smoking cigarettes absolutely has kind of a social stigma attached to it where everyone knows it's unhealthy um, and produces negative health outcomes. But You know, we are hanging on to that belief that alcohol is doing something good for us when most of the time alcohol is not consumed in moderation and it does produce negative health outcomes. Anyway, just super interesting to me. How can you avoid drinking without feeling like you're a Debbie Downer at the party? Okay, so first is just to not say anything about it and just have some sort of drink in your hand that looks like it could contain alcohol. If that's, you know, making your own mocktail to be able to join in the festive vibes, but avoid the alcohol consumption, that's a great option. Also, if someone is directly asking you if you want a drink, something that I think is really helpful is to say that instead of putting it in a very black or white response as in, I don't drink or I'm not drinking, just adding the words tonight or right now at the end of that sentence can go a long way (laughs) in helping the other person not project their own insecurity of drinking onto you. And what I mean by that is when you tell someone that you don't drink or you're not drinking, that can be taken as a judgment from you onto them, which we both know it's not. However, this is what people do. (laughs) We project 
our own insecurities and we're looking for that outward affirmation a lot of times that people agree with what we're doing being shown by them doing the same thing. So just by saying, I'm not drinking tonight, that can relieve some of the pressure where it's like, oh, okay, they do drink. They're just not drinking tonight. (laughs) Or, you know, if you just want to flat out say, no, alcohol, alcohol is bad for you. You know, you can do that too. It's all up to you and your (laughs) disposition and what you want to deal with and how um, your people around you know how to take you. I think just adding a specific time to the end of, I'm not drinking tonight, I'm not drinking right now, um, that can help people accept that more freely without pushing back on you to accept the drink or to accept the alcohol. Okay, I think that is everything that I wanted to chat about in this episode. So um, if you have any questions or you need some follow-up information, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram Instagram at hopewell underscore health. I love talking about this kind of stuff, not just, you know, a nutrient and its effects on our bodies, but also um, kind of the social impacts of it and how it fits into our overall lifestyle. So I hope this was helpful. Give this episode a share if you found the information valuable and you think someone else will too. I hope you have a super Merry Christmas. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful for you. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But wait, (laughs) before you go, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with a friend who needs it. And to make sure we stay connected, find me on social media at hopewell underscore health. Or for more information about my nutrition coaching services, check out my website, hopewellhealth.online. And always remember, you are smart, capable, and talented. You have what it takes. I'm just here to educate and encourage you along the way. Catch you next time.